Hey, folks, this is Kevin. On this episode, you'll hear Josie Spadoni. That's about when he decided to scream like a bitch. That and more. But before that, I want to let you know that today's episode is brought to you by our wonderful new sponsor, Harry's. Please visit harrys.com, that's H-A-R-R-Y-S.com, and use the promo code RISK to save $5 off your first purchase. Harry's, a great shave at a fair price. Also... The post office is always crowded. You know that. Now it's going to be even more crowded with people mailing in their taxes. But you still need to get out your envelopes and packages for your business, so use Stamps.com instead. Stamps.com brings all the services of the post office right to your desk. It's convenient, easy to use. You can buy and print official U.S. postage for any letter, any package, right there from your computer and printer. Then just hand it to the mailman. Stamps.com even sends you a free digital scale that automatically calculates the exact postage you need. And the scale is yours to keep. You'll never have to go to the post office again. We use Stamps.com at Risk in the Story Studio, and we love it. And right now, you use our promo code RISK for this special offer. It's a no-risk trial plus a $110 bonus offer that includes digital scale and up to $55 free postage. So don't wait. Go to Stamps.com before you do anything else. Click on the microphone at the top of the homepage and type in RISK. That's Stamps.com. Enter RISK. Now here's the show. The show where people tell true stories they never thought they'd dare to share. They never thought it at all. I'm Kevin Allison, and this is Wax Beach behind me now. And this is the second of two episodes that we made from our trip to Reno, Nevada. Holy shit. What <laughs> was that? A remarkable time we had there. Such beautiful, amazing, interesting people in Reno. Steve Emmerich was so wonderfully helpful in bringing us to town. You know what? We need more Steve Emmerichs, my friend. Are you a Steve Emmerich? Are you a Steve Emmerich, my friend? Think on that. And then bring us to your town, too. All right. Let's get cracking. The first story comes to us from Josie Spadoni. She is a comedian and a writer, and you'll learn of her third profession in the course of the story. Here she is now, live from Reno, Josie Spadoni, with a story we call You Asked For It.
Thanks for coming out. Now, before I start this, I should share something with you. I want you all to know that I was raised Southern Baptist and sent to Catholic school, and that explains everything. Okay. Story takes place in 1997. It was a typical Indian summer afternoon. I'm at work with my coworkers, Mr. Selectra, Mr. Somega, and Fiona. We're watching TV in the lounge. The doorbell rings. Now we know when the doorbell rings, there's gonna be some strange requests going on because that's what you do when you drive through some alleys to get to a warehouse in Reseda <laughs> in the middle of the afternoon. We open up the door and this guy is in his early 30s. He looks just like Val Kilner did in Willow. With me, ladies? Hot, hot, hot. And I'm thinking, this is cool because somebody's getting paid to touch him. Awesome. Well, we listened to his request. He wanted to be castrated. The other three girls opt out. They're like, this is too crazy. I can't deal with this. One even said, when you just like a nice spanking. But I love a challenge. <laughs> yeah. So, I took him into our little office looking room. We had several rooms. I put on my lab coat and a stethoscope. We need to have a consultation as to why he wanted to be castrated. I knew it had to be one of three reasons. Either he loved excruciating pain, or maybe he just wanted to feel more feminine. Or maybe like most guys, he thought most of his bad decisions were made because of his dick. So I asked them professionally, okay, do you mind telling us why we should perform this procedure? And he says, because I do my worst thinking with my unit. I said, what do you mean? He said, well, if I had been thinking clearly, I wouldn't have married that skank that took half my money. I said, what else? He goes, well, I wouldn't have been banging that 17-year-old. I'm like, okay. Dick's gotta go. <laughs> so, I reached into my file cabinet and pulled out a release form that says you cannot send me to jail after I do to you what you wanted me to do to you. I called a notary. It was worth the five bucks to have the mobile notary come out. <laughs> so he could see I was serious about this. So I told him to meet me at the dungeon at 8 o'clock the next morning. Now, we had a beautiful medical room. It had a little operating table. It had a table with little shiny things on a tray. It had AC. 
so I knew I was going to set it for 65. I also had a spray bottle full of water and Benadine to give that nice medicinal smell. I knew how I was going to do that part, but I had to really rack my brain. How am I going to make this happen? So I had to go shopping. And there was no Walmart in Southern California at the time, so I had to make several stops. So I went to the supermarket and I bought a quart of Cairo syrup, a large bottle of red food coloring, and a small bucket of beef brains. Got a razor, got shave cream. Went to Walgreens, got a razor, got more shaving cream, and I decided maybe I needed a manicure kit too since I was just there. <laughs> oh yeah, had to get a jar of Icy Hot. I had to call my dentist friend for a tube of Xylocaine. I don't know if you're familiar with Xylocaine, but it is the most powerful, topical, anesthetic money can buy. And I had to swing by a sex shop and buy a dildo. I didn't have the money for the floppy packing dildo that lesbians like to wear. So I just got a cheap one and boiled it. <laughs> nice and floppy. <laughs> nice and floppy. So, he shows up, 7.55, all ready for his surgery. Fiona, our house sub, was helping me because she followed directions really well. And she was kind of into it, too. So I'm thinking to myself, you know, there's got to be something in it for me, right? I'll tell you what was in it for me. He was willing to pay $1,000 for this, and I was going to keep 600 of it. That's what was in it for me. Yeah, well, whatever. So, we lay him out, we laid him out on our little operating room table. Fiona and I changed into our scrubs. As we were getting dressed and we put on our latex gloves, the snap of the glove made his little penis perk up a little bit. That isn't what this was about for me. So we pulled the sheet over him, and using our manicure scissors, we cut out a little square, kept everything else nice and covered for modesty's sake. <laughs> Trimmed all the hair with the manicure scissors and got busy with the razors. He was nice and bald. So I had Fiona pick up the hammer so he could see his genitalia and say goodbye to his little friend. He wasn't going to see it again. Yeah, it was good. So I told him to close his eyes. He didn't need to see any of this. I could see him tensing up. I could see him getting harder as this was going on, and I didn't like that, so I slapped it a couple times really hard. <laughs> that was a part of my program. So I had my 
little bucket of our Cairo red food coloring movie blood, our little pieces of beef brains, and my little floppy boiled dildo <laughs> to the side. Fiona had all our nice, sharp, shiny scalpels and instruments already, along with a giant needle with dental floss in it so we could sew him together when we were all done. I carefully put the Icy Hot in my right hand. I put the Xylocaine in my left hand. I grabbed the bass. A tear welled up in his eye. About two seconds later, I totally coated his penis with the xylocaine. He didn't feel it, it was gone. It went down. That's about when he decided to scream like a bitch. I looked at him and said, but you asked for it. Fiona, with the perfect timing, put the little bits of bloody beef bits on his crotch, held up the mirror, and said, what do you think? I took the end of my floppy dildo, dip it in the movie blood, and go, here you go, what do you think? He turned red. He turned white. He turned blue. And honestly, I was getting off on a job well done. I mean, it was very satisfying, actually. But I wasn't done. So I had Fiona pick up the needle with the dental floss and said, she's about to show you shut now. And all he could see was her hand doing like this. And I had the bloody dildo on my hand. I said, did you want to keep it? Want to touch it? Well, needless to say, after 45 seconds of watching this guy freak out, watching a little tear roll down his eye, and watch him look like, why the hell did I want to do this? I let him in on the fact that I faked the whole thing. Now, the thing that really killed me is I saw that guy once a month for the next four months for the exact same thing. <laughs> and, you know, I wonder why I can't get a dinner date. Anyway, thank you.
This is Risk. This is Rack featuring Alex Ebert behind me now. And I want to take a moment now to tell you about this new sponsor that I personally am so excited about. Harry's at harrys.com. That's H-A-R-R-Y-S dot com. They make these really beautiful men's shaving kits. We were talking to uh, the guys who started the company, one of them, Andy. He was talking about a time that he went into the drugstore and waited about 10 minutes for them to unlock some big glass cage where he gets four blades and some shaving cream, walks away, he's paid $25. I'm sure you've noticed, gentlemen, that the uh, the big brands, your Gillettes, your Schicks, it's getting out of control. The big brands are giving you all these bells and whistles you don't need, you don't even understand, at a price that is just undoable anymore. And that is why you've got to go to harrys.com and use the promo code RISK, R-I-S-K, to get $5 off your first purchase and start getting the highest quality shaving supplies at half the price shipped right to your door. In fact, Harry's just purchased this 93-year-old German factory where these beautifully sharp and solid blades are manufactured. Everything about the design says less but better. I was so impressed with the entire shaving experience. It reminded me of being in the barber's chair and having it professionally done. The kind of shave where an entire day later, you're still feeling yourself and thinking, oh my gosh, I'm, I'm as smooth and squeaky clean as a baby here. They've got excellent old-fashioned shaving cream. They're just top-notch. It just feels good to be using such a nice product from people who clearly care about what they're doing. Plus, it's so much more convenient and easy to order things online, have them shipped right to your door, and the price can't be beat. $15 gets you a set that includes a handle, three blades, and shave cream right to your door. At first I thought, well, whatever, maybe. I mean, isn't a shave just a shave? No, I have fallen in love with Harry's. A better quality shave, excellent product, and I don't feel like I'm being robbed. So go to harrys.com and use the promo code RISK to save $5 off your first purchase. That's H-A-R-R-Y-S dot com, and the promo code is RISK. Last but not least, our final story from our amazing Reno set comes to us from Emily Reese, whose blog you can find at samesides.wordpress.com. Here she is now. This is Emily Reese, live from Reno, with a story we call Revelation. So uh, growing up in the Midwest, in a fundamentalist Christian home, I didn't really know what the word fundamentalist meant at the time, but um, it was a good life. One of the things that I knew was that God loved me. 
And I knew that I wanted to be able to understand unconditional love because I knew he loved me that way. And I prayed a lot when I was little and in my teens and, and in my adult years that I would understand what it means to love unconditionally. So I had a great childhood. My parents were very traditional. It's kind of a Ward and June Cleaver thing, but they were good parents. And I'm, I'm thankful for that. My, my sister and I had a great childhood and we were practical people. That's a, that's a term that often describes my parents and they describe themselves that way. So I went off to college. I had a little bit of a rebellious stage in there, but, um, but I still knew what I wanted in life. I wanted to grow up in a Christian home, which I did, and I wanted to get married to a Christian man, and I wanted to raise kids in a Christian home, and I wanted to be a submissive wife, and I wanted to him to be the head of the household, and it was going to be perfect picket fence, June Cleaver awesomeness. Okay? And I knew this was going to happen, right? But once I went away to college, had a little bit of rebellion, and that's okay. Everybody does that, right? So I'm more than most. And, uh, but it led me to meeting Devin. Devin and I met at Applebee's. I don't know if anyone's ever served tables at Applebee's, but the term is Apple Buddies, and it's the dumbest term I've ever heard. And I, we, we used to say it with pride, and we'd have our little flare on us, and oh, God, it was pathetic. So, so here we are, Apple Buddies, and we're going out on our first date. And he held my hand. It was a movie. I think it was Batman. It was one with... with Keaton, I believe. Yeah, one of the better ones, right? Mr. Mom. So, <laughs> so, but I, I held his hand and it was, I, it was flutterpating, right? <laughs> you like that one? Okay. And um, it was fun. It was nice. And we're driving down a main huge street of Kansas City. We're heading to the Twisted Lizard to meet our Apple buddies, okay? And we stopped. We were first in line. The light had just turned red. And we were stopped, and I was in the passenger seat, and, and he threw the car into park. And he jumped out of the freaking car. And the first thought that went through my head was, if he thinks I'm going to do a goddamn Chinese fire drill, he's done. Dunsville, I'm out of here. But what he did is he ran across the street and he threw money at this dude and he grabbed a rose and he ran back into the car and handed it to me. And the first thing I thought was that I'm going to have this guy's babies. <laughs> so our wedding was beautiful. One of the things that I hate to do is cry, okay? And I do everything in my power to keep myself from doing that. And I knew that I was going to cry on my goddamn wedding day. And so I'm walking, I'm, I've got my dad, and of course he's awesome. I love my dad. I turn the corner and I'm thinking, I don't want to cry, I don't want to cry. And I look up, and Devin is bawling like the biggest baby I have ever seen in my life. And I was so glad it was him and not me. And I decided that I knew 
that he loved me, and I was beaming from ear to ear. And I knew we were going to have that life, that picket fence, that Christian life, that one where he is the head of the household and I'm that submissive wife. And I knew that was going to happen. And it did. We had a great marriage. Before kids, we had a lot of fun. We joined a church, of course, and we led Bible studies even. We were pretty well-versed in, in Scripture. It was a fundamentalist Bible-teaching church. And we had a kid, and he went through law school, and we moved back to Reno, where his hometown is. Got involved in another church, and he, he actually kind of got really involved in church, in fact, into leadership, and he was a lay youth pastor, and I was helping out with the kids. It was literally, I'm not kidding you, the perfect kind of scenario for people who are Christians. One of the things that, as a submissive wife, scripturally, you generally look to the man to make the decisions, and I was okay with that, because I didn't want to have the responsibility when things got fucked up. <laughs> and so, so I justified it biblically, though. I mean, this even includes things like finances. I had nothing to do with finances, nothing. I spent the money. But, but he made the money. And he was ultimately, in scripture, just generally, the man is the one that's going to be held responsible at the judgment for their family. So I let him lead. And he was a good leader, but I willingly stepped back and wanted nothing to do with our finances. So making decisions, we often had to discuss things like that. But when Devin wanted something, it generally happened because he was the man. And if I wanted something, I had to ask. He didn't tell me I had to ask, but that's what I felt like I needed to do. And we would have discussions, and sometimes I'd get what I wanted, and sometimes I didn't, and I just had to accept that. So, things are going well, and things started not going so well. I had this intuition. Women, you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the one that we think we have, and then we think we're crazy, and that just can't be possible, right? So, I started thinking that maybe he's not happy. And maybe he's cheating on me. And I don't really know why I'm thinking this, because he doesn't seem like that kind of guy. So I asked him, and he completely assured me, put his loving arms around me, and gave me a big old kiss, and sent me flowers that day, and I was okay with that. And then things started going kind of wrong financially for us. And just, it just wasn't working right. Like, for instance, Devin did like to gamble. He made the money, though, and he made big money. We shouldn't have had any financial problems. But I was okay with him gambling because he made the money, and I'm going to be okay with what he decides. So I let it go. And this happiness, this idea of the things aren't going very well just kept nagging at me. And we used to sit on the side of the tub a couple times a week, and the kids would be downstairs watching movies, SpongeBob or whatever. Oh, wait, we wouldn't have let them watch SpongeBob at that time because that is not a very Christian show. It was probably VeggieTales. So, so they're, they're watching VeggieTales. Of course, I'm sure. I'm sure, sure they are. <laughs> Do you know that, VeggieTales? Veggie tales, veggie tales. I know all of them by heart. Okay, so we're sitting on the edge of the tub, soaking our feet, 
it was a nice ritual for us. And I said to Devin, I said, you just don't seem happy. And, and I, I don't know what's going on. Because he was really kind of spent a lot of time away from home, too. And, and he got very defensive, which was pretty typical for him. And instead of reacting lovingly to my honest question, he said, I am happy. Apparently you aren't happy, and that is not my problem. There are a million other women, if you're not happy, who would love to have me as a husband. And I couldn't believe it, because I was really wanting to share my heart with him. And what he was doing is he was calling me crazy. And that really sucked. Because I always looked to him to lead. And I felt like I was being pushed away. And I actually thought, maybe I am going crazy. So, that did not end very well. But, and he never apologized, by the way. That's not usually his forte, although he, we'll talk about that later. So, essentially what ended up happening is financially it got worse. And one of my friends said, you know what, Emily, you probably ought to check your bank account. And I was mortified and embarrassed because I didn't even know how to get online and look at our bank account. I had no freaking clue how much money we had, what was going out. I didn't even know how to do it. So, it's a Sunday. Devin was at a tennis tournament. He'd been going to a lot of tennis tournaments and various things with some friends he had met that I didn't know. And he kind of didn't want me to know them. And they would go camping and they would go um, shooting guns. First of all, if any of you know Devin, that's the most ridiculous freaking thing you have ever heard. And I could not believe he wanted to go shoot guns. And he was happy about it. And I said, I've always wanted to shoot a gun. Why can't I go? And he said, it's not like that. No one brings their wives or their girlfriends. And I wanted him to be happy because he hadn't been happy. And so I let it go. So here we are Sunday. He's coming home from a tennis tournament. And that intuition in the back of my head is like, God damn it, I'm just going to get online. And it was scary for me, honestly. Pathetically scary. And I got on. And the neon signs and the slaps in the face that were coming off that computer right into my heart were unreal. Essentially, by the end of all of my figuring and scratching through paper because I was so pissed, there was $9,000 of unaccounted for cash gone within three months. No clue where it went. To top it off, there were credit card deposits, not a whole bunch, but big numbers into our account to cover for that missing cash. Think about the interest rates. We had supposedly paid off our credit cards. Did I know that? No, because I was willingly ignorant. But the one thing that caught my eye the most on top of all of that, besides just feeling so naive, it's just, I felt really stupid. There was one charge and it was at Boomtown and it looked like a room because I pretty I was pretty sure that day on that charge he was out of town and so I called him oh hell yeah you're cheating on me 
you need to get home, Devin. There's some things going on in our account, and I am not going to listen to any excuse. You will come clean. We need to talk about this. And this charge, Devin, you're cheating on me. And like I said before, he's normally very defensive. But he wasn't. And that was weird. He said, you're right. We need to talk. But we can't talk right now. Why not? Well, Felipe's in the car with me. And I said, oh, right. The guy who always gets to go with you for everything. And he always leave me at home. I didn't say that. I was thinking it. But it didn't really make me pause for too long. And he said, I'll be home in an hour. And I said, yes, you will. And hung up the phone. So as you imagine, and I don't want to... I don't want to say females always do this because I don't like that kind of stuff, but you know the spinning girls that go and you just, you can't stop and it just back, it just goes in on itself and you, you self-destruct really at, this, at some point. Three hours later, he walked in the door. I couldn't even see straight. I couldn't talk to him, couldn't look at him. I'm dusting with some sort of, <laughs> I probably pledge on glass, which sucks, right? And I didn't even care. I didn't even care. I didn't care. And the girl, the kids, they go, Daddy, Daddy, how'd you attend a sermon? And he acted very morose. And I turned around and I saw his eyes and they were swollen and red. And he had been crying. Kind of like on our wedding day, what he looked like, but it wasn't a happy one. So I didn't want to break the silence. Finally, he said to me, he said, I'm sorry I wasn't here. I was at my mom's. Now that was not a very good answer because he's a mama's boy and that pissed me off. And he's not married to his mom. He is married to me. Why the hell was he at his mom's? I just said, what, what does she have to do with this? I, I we need to talk. And he said, we do. Let me call my mom and have her come over and take the kids and we can talk. And I'm like, what? No, we are talking right now, right here. It has nothing to do with your mom. Let me get my um, movie on, probably another VeggieTales or some sort of, oh, I don't know, Princess Bride. Maybe that's pretty okay. <laughs> and, <laughs> and let me go, we're going to go upstairs. To my mountain of laundry, by the way, Devin, that I am always here folding for you while you are off gallivanting around. That was kind of a fun dig. I wasn't, you know, I was a Christian. I couldn't really swear too much at that point. So, and we were in front of the kids, which honestly, people, if you've ever been involved, you do not chastise your husband in front of children, their children. You just don't do that. So we go upstairs, shut the door, silence again. I am taking my anger out on baby socks, Cinderella printed underwear, and all kinds of things. And I'm folding like I've never folded before. It was actually pretty kind of nice. I got done quick. And he still couldn't talk. And he said, finally, Emily, I know what you're thinking. I'm not cheating on you with another woman. And I, of course, became completely fuming because he broke the silence and that was my turn to, to have at it. And I turned to him and I said, you say you don't have a gambling problem, Devin? Obviously you've got an issue. You say you're not cheating on me with another woman. What are you, gay or something? And I was laser beam, laser beam at him. But his eyes got a spark of hope and I did not understand why. And he said, so you knew this whole time 
yeah. I don't remember exactly like how I felt. Like it's really hard to describe because when you're in that scenario and it is literally the biggest thing you've ever heard and you can't quite grasp it, I turned to the window and was holding a green and white dish towel and I felt heat coming up the back of my neck and I felt like my vision was closing in and I kind of felt like I was going to have an out-of-body experience. And he sat down on the floor and started crying because he realized he had just outed himself. Here's what's up. My coping mechanism is a change of subject, and I can't believe I did it in that moment. I turned to him and I said, why were you at your mom's? <laughs> right? And he said, I figured I'd need a place to stay once I told you. And I uh, hadn't really thought about that, but he was probably right, and that was a pretty smart move on his part. <laughs> and then the floodgates opened. I couldn't understand pretty much every other word maybe that he was saying, but the words that I recall were suicide, year and a half earlier, life insurance policy didn't commit suicide because of you and the kids, and I snapped too. Suicide. My own husband, a year and a half earlier, had planned his suicide and I didn't notice one thing. Didn't even notice. And so what that did is it brought out the love that I have for him. And I went over, and I got down on the floor, and I started crying with him and hugging him. And I said, there is no reason to ever kill yourself, Devin. I love you too much. Nothing is worth that. We can get through this. I love you. And he said, I'm the deceiver. He literally called himself the deceiver. I'm a liar. And what happened in the next two hours was the most intimate time I'd ever had with my husband in all the years I knew him. I knew him because I knew all of him, all of a sudden. There were so many things I didn't know, and I loved those two hours. One of the things about intuition is you do sometimes doubt yourself, right? Pretty much all the time because you think it's just intuition. But I'm wondering if subconsciously I knew that he was gay. Because why would I have asked that question? I've learned not to doubt my intuition. So those two hours were the only two hours Devin really gave me. Because once he had told what he needed to say, he felt free. And you know what? I had a burden that I had never understood that I would have to carry. It was really heavy. Because I had to make sense of everything that had happened before that moment. Was everything a lie? Everything. The curtains we bought when we were married? That's a lie. 
I mean, I remember literally looking at the curtains, laying next to Devin one of those times after we he'd already come out, and I was like, those curtains are a lie. And he's like, I don't, I don't get that. <laughs> so, took about a year and a half. During that time, I felt like he could change because guess what? Being gay is a sin and a choice, right? That's what I used to think, right? And so I pictured us being up on a stage like this as a beacon of light for gay people all over the world that they could change and we could write books and I would finally get to be what I want to do is be on stage. <laughs> yeah, I'm on stage, but for that. But here's what happened. I tried to make it work. I tried to make him change. I tried with everything, everything I think of. But the day I let go was the day that I look back and remember those two hours we had. And I remember him telling me that I am the only woman he has ever loved. And during that year and a half, and I would think about that, I felt like it was a slap in the face. But the day that I decided that it was true was literally the day I knew I could let go. Let me gather myself for a minute. You see, now where we are, it's been a long time. I love him, but it's different. I love Felipe, <laughs> who is his husband now. <laughs> Literally, they just got married in New York on New Year's Eve. Mm -hmm. My kids, we love all of us. We raise our family rainbow style. We have to call ourselves the rainbow family. The Reese's in their pieces, whatever you want to call us. And here's the deal. I am no longer that submissive wife. There's no more picket fence. There's a rainbow one. There's no more June Cleaver. There's just me apart from anyone else. I didn't know who I was without him. And now I do, and I love myself. I'm going to marry myself like Sue Sylvester did. If, if you've ever seen um, Glee, that's what I want to do. So here, here's the scoop, though. That prayer that I used to ask God to help me to understand what unconditional love is was answered. Because here's what it is, guys, and girls, and anyone else that wants to call them something, so, like an LGBTQ, IBCDA, whatever. <laughs> it's good. It's all good with me. Unconditional love is loving someone for who they were, who they are, and who they're going to become, regardless of what some scripture says, regardless of how uncomfortable I feel. I don't love someone to get them to be to a certain place. I love them as they are in the moment. 
and in the future. So there's two things I want to wrap up. One is I want to thank Devin for coming out, even though I kind of caught him. (laughs) Because I wouldn't know what unconditional love is without that. And the last thing, I need to have a hand raised to see who is definitely going to Burning Man this year. Really and truly. Okay, no lie. All right, okay. Can you come up here? Yep. You're not going to have to speak. You're not going to have to speak. I'm just going to hand you something, okay? You're not going to have to speak, I promise. Okay. So, Burning Man, there's a temple there that people bring things to burn things, right? I'm not going this year. I'm actually undergoing chemo right now, so I won't be able to go. I'm going to High Sierra, though, yo. Okay. This is literally, I'm not lying to you, the dish towel that I was holding when I found out. And so if you're going to Burning Man, would you, would you promise me that you're going to burn this for me? Okay? Let's... So thank you for listening to my heart. And I love all of you unconditionally. Ain't no gift like the present tense. Ain't no love like the whole romance. Got to make gave the sunshine and can't waste time when it comes down to For this week, folks, this is Need to Breathe behind me now. Risk Music intern Sarah Irvin introduced me to this song. And you know what? We could use some new Risk Music interns. So if you are someone who really follows indie music, maybe you read Pitchfork, maybe you listen to All Songs Considered, or uh, some of the great indie stations like KEXP, KCRW, or WFMU, email me at kevin at risk-show.com and you can become a part of programming the music on this podcast. And if this live show sounded exciting to you, well, we have a lot more live shows coming up. On May 10th, we're in Boston. We're doing two shows in Boston, so that's going to be a really loaded night. On June 7th, we're in Washington, D.C., and you know what? We need pitches. People from D.C. 
Pitch us your stories. On June 13th, we're in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. We're returning to North Carolina. We need your pitches out there, too, in Chapel Hill. So people in D.C. and Chapel Hill, go to risk-show.com slash submissions and send us your story ideas. Remember that storytelling is a powerful craft and skill to be used in so many different aspects of your life, your career, your social life. Not to mention the personal growth that comes from examining your life and sharing it this way. And the storystudio.org is where we workshop with people. We coach and train people in this incredibly supportive and encouraging environment. We do one-on-one training over Skype or in person. We have open workshops in New York and Los Angeles. We do corporate workshops for staffs of businesses all around the world. And we even have online courses that you can take in your own time. So be sure to reach out to us at thestorystudio.org. And don't forget, Risk is a proud member of the Maximum Fun network of podcasts. And we are listener-supported. We very much rely on the help of our listeners to keep all this going. So go to MaximumFun.org slash donate to be a part of it all, to contribute, and to discover even more ways that you can be a part of the Maximum Fun family. In the meantime, look for Risk on Twitter and Facebook at Risk Show. And on Twitter, I'm at the Kevin Allison. And so with that all said, folks, today's the day. Take a risk.